Well, happy Father's Day. Um, I do want to point out before we get started, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but I just do want to mention on Father's Day that um, obviously God is the perfect representation of an ideal father. And I'm not blind to the fact that there are many, 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 many people, probably including many in this church, who did not have a very good father growing up. And I understand that. And so the Bible is pretty clear. As children, we are to obey our parents. And then as adults, we are to honor our parents. And honor is a word that you use the way you treat another person regardless of what type of person they are. Um, Whether you had a great father or whether you had an awful father, you can still show them honor. Honor is the way that you talk to them, the way that you um, show them respect as a person made in the image of God, even if you are praying diligently for their salvation and praying for God to grab a hold of their heart. You can still honor someone who you may not feel deserves it because that is what God has instructed us to do. And so I just want to leave that thought with you um, as we continue on talking about fathers in this sermon. So what does... What verse does every father want me to put up on this screen? I did it last year. I'm going to do it again this year. What verse does every father just hope I'm going to throw up here? And that's going to be Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's what you want to hear, isn't it, dads? That's like, yes, I'm going to have that. I need to put that on a plaque. I'm going to put it on their door to their room. Um, and just going to make sure that they recite it uh, when they go in. That's going to be part of our prayer at our meals every day. That is a verse that I'm talking about. But, but we, as God often does when he gives us a command that we think we like so much, we better keep on reading and read it in context because usually there's going to be something on our end that we're going to have to obey as well. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And there is the flip side of that verse. The first part, the dads are all like, yes, yes, children obey your parents. But then the last part is dads, hey, don't don't provoke your children to anger. Don't stir up anger in them. And they're like, well, I'm not going to make them memorize that part. That's not for them. I'm just going to make them memorize the first part. But, but there's, there's a lot of truth to that. What it's saying here, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Does that mean that it is never appro- is there's never a time when it's appropriate to say, because I said so? Is that what that verse means? I'm, I'm going to say no. I mean, okay, not going to step on too many toes. I think there would be times that it would be appropriate for a parent to say when they when the kids ask why, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do that? I, there probably are times that it's appropriate to say because I said so. Because one thing that is important for children to learn is authority, and if children never learn authority in the home, they're not going to respect authority when they get out of it. They're not going to respect the authority of their boss. They're not going to respect the authority of the police. They're not going to respect the authority of the government. And so there is appropriate to teach kids 
that as the parent of a child in the home, authority is something to be taken seriously. But it also means the majority of the time, you need to make sure that you are actually instructing them, training them. If that's your default all the time, because I said so, what are you teaching them? Well, they're not learning. They're not learning the principle behind why you told them to do what they do. So it's appropriate the majority of the time when you say to not talk back to your teachers, to give them instruction as to why to not talk back, why that's important that they should not talk back to their teachers, to respect them as authority, to not be disrespectful to other people. It is the goal of the parent to actually instruct and teach the child why these rules are in place. I don't remember who said it. I know Ravi Zacharias quoted it, but he quoted someone else who said it. Um, But he said, uh, one thing that's very important to know is never remove offense before you first ask why it was put there in the first place. So when you go to, and that applies, you know, in the context of the church as a pastor, let's say I, as a pastor, make a decision, I want to change something about the way we do church. My advice is never go down tearing down something that's already been put in place without first asking and finding out why it was put there in the first place. To understand why is it we do what we do and why is it that we do it this way. That's important to know before we go into making decisions as to changing why we do what we do. And, and with parents, it's important to teach children why there are rules in place. The rule that they have, why is it that that rule is, is put in place? Why is it that they can't stay out past 10? Why is it that they can't do this? It's important to teach them that why, but it doesn't have to become, as you all know, an endless debate every Friday night as to why. So, with that being said, we're going to move on. So the question is, the Bible has given us clear instruction that we are to train and teach the children in the instruction of the Lord. What is it that we are to teach them? There's the command, you're to train them, you're to teach them. So the, the question is, what are you to teach them? What? What do we teach them? Well, I'm going to say the safest place to start off with is the greatest commandment. I'm sure most of us here are familiar with the greatest commandment because I quote it often. What is the greatest commandment that we must obey? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to lo- the second is to love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. Mark 12, 28 through 31. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked them, which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So what's the greatest command? Is to love God with all of your heart. Right? Well, this comes straight from Deuteronomy. And we're going to go right to that passage because it's the most appropriate passage for today on Father's Day. This is what God has been commanding the Israelites to do 
for thousands of years by the time that Jesus showed up on the scene. Moses and the Exodus was 1,400 years before Christ showed up, or 1,200 depending on what date you choose. Over a 1,000 years, the Israelites had been given these commands in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 says this, These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So, our instructions are to the Israelites is that these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you walk, wake up. In other words, to teach these to your kids all the time, every day, every morning, every night, is make sure that your kids know the instructions that God has given them. And so what are these words that you are to teach them? Well, if we back up two verses and start in verse 4, we just read verses 6 and 7. Let's back up to 4 and 5 because he just said these words. What are these words? Verses 4 and 5 are these. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So what is it that you're supposed to be teaching your kids every morning, every evening, every night until they get it, until you know they got it, until you, every situation that you come across where it appears that they don't get it, you teach it to them again to make sure that they get it. What is it that we're supposed to teach them? We're to teach them to do what? Love God with everything they are and everything they have. Love Him with everything. But it's not just, that's not just, a, and, and, and so I want to ask you, what does it mean to love God with all you are? What does it mean to love God with all your heart? Does it mean that when you think about God, that you have a good feeling inside about Him? I mean, when we think about love, we think about a feeling, right? You say love, that's like an emotion, that's like a feeling. But is that what God meant? To say to love God means when I think about Him, I just feel good about him, to love him, you know, from here. Like, mm, I just can't wait to see him one day. I love him. Be thinking about that, because I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. I wanna, I'm going I'm to leave you with that for a minute. Be thinking about what does it mean to really love God. But I'm going to point out before we get there, that these are not the only instructions that God gave the Israelites to teach their children. It's not just this one command, love God from your heart. Now, it encompasses all the commands, but that's not the one. If you keep going back, we just read 4 and 5. If we back up to verse 1 through 3, it says, This command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them, so that you may prosper and multiply greatly, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Then it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then it says, be sure to teach all these things to your kids all the time as you're walking down the road. So when we back up to verse 1, and he says, 
This is the command, the statutes and ordinances the Lord has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. What commands and statutes and ordinances is he talking about? What, what, what do you guess we're going to do now? We're going to go back, right? We're not actually going to go back on the slides. I'm just going to tell you. But it's the entirety of chapter 5. Guess what Deuteronomy chapter 5 is? The Ten Commandments. So God gets done giving the Ten Commandments. Then Moses comes to the people and says, Be sure to teach all of these instructions to your kids. And they can all be summed up with love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now what are the Ten Commandments? Anybody memorized them yet? Uh, Our youth took off. I was going to put one of them on the spot. What are our Ten Commandments? You ready? First one, do not have any other gods besides me. Second one, don't make any idols. Don't make any graven images for yourself. Three, do not use the Lord's name in vain. Four, honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Five, honor your father and mother. Six, do not kill. Seven, do not commit adultery. Eight, do not steal. Nine, do not lie. And ten, do not covet. So these are the commands that God has given his people. Then he commands them, teach them to your kids all the time. Make sure they know them. Make sure they understand them. Make sure they live by them. And most importantly, you can sum them all up with love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love him with everything you are. That was the command given to the Israelites by God himself, the perfect father, for what all fathers should do from here on out. And what did Jesus do when he got here? He didn't abolish it. He didn't do away with it. He reaffirmed it. He said exactly that. That's exactly what we are to do. Nothing changed from the old covenant to the new covenant that we live under. We are to love God with all of our heart so that we will obey him. So, getting back to that question. What does it mean to love God? Does it mean to have a good feeling towards Him? Is that what it means to love God? When you say, well, God doesn't come up very often in conversation, but if He ever does come up, I'm going to make sure people know that I love God and I'm not going to abandon Him, I'm not going to forsake Him when that happens. But He's some distant being that I don't really know and I'm hoping to meet one day, but what it means to love God is really just to have a love for Him in my heart. When the Bible talks about loving God, that is not what it says the definition of love is. Thankfully for us, God, through the inspired word, God himself gave us the scriptures and told us what it means to love God. He said it right here. 1 John 5, 3. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. They're not. And see, that's the, that's, the, that's the dilemma that people have placed on what it means to obey God. Oh, it's burdensome. It's difficult. It's, i got to do all this. Well, if you lived in Jesus' day and the, you, you lived under the Pharisees, you probably were very convinced of that because they would tell you when you go to honor the Sabbath that you could not brush off the crumbs off your table if the amount of crumbs amounted to the size of a what? A pea. You know how small that is? 
The Pharisee said, if you have crumbs on your table that amount to more than the size of a pea, if all balled together, you're not allowed to brush them off your table because if you do, that's work. And the whole time God is saying, that's not what I meant when I said don't work on the Sabbath. I didn't mean take this day that's meant for your rest and your recuperation and your love for me. I didn't mean to take that day and turn it into a day of just pure, ugh. I'm doing, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. It became a day of burden instead of a day of rest. God's commands are not a burden, and we shouldn't make them so. We shouldn't turn them into a burden. If we were to commit our lives completely to God, as many in this room have, as we have as a church, when you commit to give your life to Christ and fully surrender to Him, you choose willingly to obey Him. And it's not a burden. You want to. If you love your spouse, don't you want to do good for them and make them happy? You want to, right? Right? (laughs) Now, I don't do the best job of it. I'll be the first to admit. But doing good for my wife is not a burden to me. When you love somebody, you want to. You want to. it, it, It leaves the arena of obligation And it moves into the desire of desire. It's what I want to do. And so when God says, you know, I don't want you to six, murder. Command six, murder. We say, okay. Well, I don't want to either. Nine, I don't want you to lie. Okay, well, I really don't want to lie either. It doesn't do anything but just make my life more difficult. I don't want to lie. You don't want me to lie? I don't want to lie. You don't want me to steal? I don't want to steal. There are so many people who transition from living apart from Christ to living with Christ, and they have this huge struggle of obeying God and doing what He's commanded. They have this struggle. Why? Because internally, they now don't want to do the things they're in the habit of doing all the time. That's why it's a struggle for them. They're like, I don't want to do it anymore. I keep finding myself doing it. I keep falling back into this old sin, but I don't want to do this old sin anymore. I want to be ple- do what God wants me to do. I want to break away from this. God's commands are not a burden to us if we love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's what He's asked us to do. That's what love for God is. Love for God is, is, is to... Treat him right. That's another way of saying to keep his commands. Love for God is to treat him right. What is sin? Sin is attacks against God. Sin is, is, is breaking your fellowship with God. It's, it's, it's doing what he hates and doing what he, he detests. And so if I were to do that same thing with my wife, if my wife has, you know, whatever situation it it may be. And let's make something up that's obviously not true, okay? Because I don't want to get into the realm of stuff that is true. Let's just go with stuff that's not true. Obviously, my wife would be very upset if I started taking other women out on dates, wouldn't she? Yeah. Y'all would see me up here with nobody up there. (laughs) Here's the thing. How am I treating her when I sin against her that way? 
Awful, right? Treating her like she's worthless to me. And that's what sin is. That's what sin against God is. When you do something that he detests and he hates and you do it because you're like, you know what? I know you can't stand it and I know it it breaks your heart, but it sure gives me temporary enjoyment, so I'm going to do it. I don't care how it affects you. That's what sin is to God. That's what he had to go to a cross and die for. That's what he had to leave his throne in heaven for. Come to this earth, live a human life, die at our hands, be mocked, ridiculed, beaten, flogged, and crucified. Hang on a cross, pull himself up to breathe, just pull himself up on the cross and push up on the nails through his feet just so he can gargle and get some breath. Why? Because of sin. Because of sin against God. And so for us to enter into a relationship with Him and to say that I love you, God, as a person, I love you, is to say that I'm choosing to no longer treat you the way I've always been treating you. We're going to enter into this relationship together and I'm not going to act the way I used to act against you. I'm going to treat you right now. I'm going to do my best. We know we're not perfect. We know we're not going to pull it off, but we're sure going to try because that's what you do. You try, right? Why? Not to earn forgiveness, but because you're forgiven, because you love someone who's loved you more than you've ever experienced love in your life. That's what love for God is. And that's what God said love for God is to keep his commands. And they're not a burden. So if to love God is to keep his commands, what are we to do? If his command is to love God, and to love God is to keep that command, which is to love God, you you see the circle here? What does it look like? What does it mean? Well, it means to do everything else, he said. Jesus, after he died, was buried for three days, rose from the grave, Then he spent, you know how long he spent on this earth after he rose from the grave? Forty days. Forty days. You know what he did in those forty days? A lot. He was busy. He was not hanging out at the coffee shop. He was not going around buying new new wardrobes thinking, man, I got just rose from the dead. I'm a king. Now I got to get me some good some good threads. He was not going around shopping. He was, not, he was busy. It said he was visiting all kinds of disciples, people that had placed their faith in him. He was going around visiting them over here, visiting them over there. He appeared to over 500 at one time. He was busy. Matter of fact, every time that you see him appear after resurrection and he appeared to the disciples, he did it like, whoop, he was there, right? It was like this teleportation type thing because God can do whatever he wants to. That's what he was doing for 40 days. He was popping in and out of place, 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 place. And he was spending time teaching disciples, showing himself, teaching them about himself, teaching them the scriptures. That's what he did with the two on the road to Emmaus. He he went through Moses and went through all the scriptures, enlightening them to the scriptures about him being the Messiah. Why? Why? This is why. After he'd spent 40 days intensely training all of his disciples and appearing to all of them, hundreds of them, disciples was anybody who committed to follow follow Christ. We're not just talking about the 11 and 12. After he spent all that time training them, giving them all that they needed, this is what he said. Jesus came near and said to them, 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And just so y'all can see that, I'll roll that on through. He gave us a mission. Four commands. One was imperative. Isn't that imperative? Imperative is a com- like you do this, imperative. Only one of the four things he told us to do was an imperative. Which one? Make disciples. Go was to go and make disciples. Baptize was to baptize the disciples. And to teach was to teach the disciples. The command was make disciples. The go Baptize and teach were all descriptions of what, of that one thing, make disciples. So after Jesus spent 40 days with, these, with the, all these brothers and sisters in Christ, preparing them, teaching them what they needed to do, giving them what they needed, then the last thing he told them before he ascended into heaven was, okay, now do it. Make disciples. So fathers, what does it mean To love God. It means to make disciples of your kids. It means to make disciples of your neighbors. It means to make disciples of the next generation. But to do that, you have to be a disciple first. You must be discipled first. Why? Because you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you know to love God is to obey Him. And Jesus commanded us to observe and obey everything that He has commanded you. So the question is, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you been taught to obey everything He's commanded you? And you have a simple test for that. You want to know what the test is? If you want to know if you've been discipled in Christ, have I been discipled? Am I a disciple of Christ? Here's your test. Can you tell me what Jesus has commanded you to do? Because disciples, if we do it correctly, we are to teach people everything Jesus commanded us to do. Right? We have the New Testament. We have the Gospels. We'll go through what He's taught. We'll go through what God has taught in all of the Scriptures. When I ask that question, do you know what Jesus expects of you? Do you know what Jesus has commanded you to do? If your first thought is, I have no idea. I, I haven't studied the Gospels. I don't, I don't really know. Then that would be your first indicator that you yourself have not been di- properly discipled. You may have the right heart and you may be ready. You've just never been discipled. And it's not your fault. It's our fault as the church for the past however many decades. It's been our fault. We have not been following what we've been told to disciple men to disciple men, women to disciple women. And the way it's supposed to be done is the older disciples the younger. Reaching that next generation. What happens when the next generation drops off the map? What happens when we're not reaching that next generation? What happens? All this shrivels up and dies. Every bit of it. 
what happens when we don't pass that baton off to the next, the next generation? It never gets passed. And so what is we as men? What do men, what do men long for? Men long for purpose. Men long for knowing a direction, of knowing a sense of accomplishment, of knowing this is what I'm, I'm, this is my purpose, this is what I'm here for, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and I got a plan to achieve it, and I'm working on it, and I'm doing it, and now I feel a sense of fulfillment, of accomplishment. Isn't that what we long for as men? You take a man, you take away his job, you put him in a situation where he feels like he's not doing anybody any good, and guess what happens? They go into depression. And so I just want to stand up here from the Word of God on Father's Day and talk to the men and say, Men, this is, this is, this is our map. This is our purpose. Our purpose on this earth right now is to make disciples. Why? Because we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And guess what? We're going to do that now, and we're going to do that forever. Are we not? We're going to love God with all we are now, and we're going to love Him forevermore. But guess what? Jesus told us to make disciples, and we only get now to do that. The Scripture says that in the life to come, that no one will teach his brother that, uh, about the Lord. No one will teach anyone about God in the next life. We will know Him personally. There will be no making of disciples. We have this life to do it. So what's our mission? To make disciples. That's what the church exists for. And that's what we exist for. And so I want to extend that invitation to all men. That if you have not been discipled, then we as a church exist to disciple you. That's why we exist as a church. Matter of fact, I, I want to pull this up. Ephesians four eleven and 12. And he gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And this is the role of pastors and teachers. If you ever want to know what's my role as pastor in this church, the scripture says my role as pastor and teacher is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. My role as pastor, according to God, which supersedes what anybody else believes is my role as pastor. My role as pastor is to equip the saints, all believers, you, to equip you to do the work of this ministry. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. When we believe, and y'all have been so gracious to me, and I, I thank you, but when the church falls into the mindset of it's the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry, then the church throws a burden on a pastor that he can never live up to or fulfill. And God didn't intend him to. It's the pastor's job to go, to go lead this person to Christ. It's the pastor's job to, to do this. It's the pastor's job to do that, not mine. The Bible says it's my job to equip you to do what you think is my job. That's, that, in essence, that's a way to sum it up. Whatever you think is my job, most likely. Now, there are some exceptions that are limited to, to pastors, but they're few. There are some exceptions, but they're few. Like, I don't know, or weddings. 
you can't legally go marry somebody. (laughs) But point is, the majority of what you think I'm supposed to do, my job is to equip you to do that. It is. And how do we do it? God gave us a plan. Discipleship. And what is discipleship? It's not a focus on discipleship and, and at, at an expense of evangelism. It, you can't separate the two. Because if you're not going and baptizing, which is evangelism, you're not making disciples. You can't have one without the other. So, man, I want to give you a, a purpose of your life. Your life is to love God with all you are now and forevermore. But while you're on this earth, your mission is to make disciples. And if you haven't been discipled, then this church exists to disciple you. All you got to do is let me know, I want to be discipled. That's it. And we will work our rear ends off to make sure that we're doing everything we can to disciple you the best we can. And then your purpose is to then disciple others. And when we have enough people fulfilling that role properly, the way it's going to end up working is the older will always disciple others. The younger. That's just the way it's just naturally going to work out. And let me tell you something about these kids. These youth that were here helping with VBS this past week. That was a a great example of what we're talking about. They love God and they were trying to help the younger kids love God too. We saw that in action. That's what the church exists for for us to be disciples of God and then to make disciples of God. And every man and every woman is called to that role, to be discipled and then to disciple. And for fathers who still have kids in the home, you got a perfect opportunity right now to disciple that next generation. But if your kids have already grown up, moved out, they're adults, that's okay. You still know your purpose and mission on this earth. To love God with all you are, love your neighbor as yourself, and to be busy being a disciple and making disciples. That's your purpose. And there's a game plan for it. There's a road map for it. It can be laid out and you can know that you're accomplishing it. You can know that. You can have a sense of accomplishment. Fathers, I love you. I love every one of you. I love you too, mothers. We all know without y'all, we'd be in trouble. How's the phrase go? The rooster rules the roost, but the hen rules the rooster. Is that, is that how it goes? We know, we know that this is a, a partnership. We understand. But God, today's Father's Day. Mothers, you just had your day not too long ago. Fathers, I believe in you. I believe in you. And I'm not talking theoretical here. I'm not talking about something that I don't know anything about. There's men in this church that can tell you, for this past year, that's what we've been doing. Every single week, we've been meeting a discipleship group. We call it a D group. We've been meeting every single Friday. We pray together. We study the scriptures together. We talk about life together. We talk about these concepts in the Bible. We do it every week. And that's what we want to keep doing for as long as this church exists, to keep doing that. And if that's something that you want to be a part of, 
I'll make it happen. I'll pull strings and I'll make it happen one way or another. That's why we're here. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we just want to thank you for being a perfect father. Father, we want to thank you for being that example that we can look to to know what it looks like to be a good father. Father, we want to thank you that you didn't give up on us, you didn't turn your back on us, but that you came to earth to die for us. And Father, most of all, we want to thank you for the relationship that you offer to us now. Not something that we just have to work real hard to achieve in this life in order to obtain in the next life. No, no, no. You offer a relationship with us now. A relationship in which you speak to us. We hear you. We, hear, we have your words written down on paper. We, we, we know what your thoughts are. We know how you feel. We know what you want. And we know what you want from us. We know what you desire from us. And you've given us a way and a blueprint to accomplish it. And so we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for your amazing love for us. Father, I pray that we, as men, will love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will love our neighbor as ourselves. And we will never forget what our mission is, the last thing you commanded us to do before you left this earth, which was to be disciples who make disciples. It's all about you. And we only have such a limited time to do it. And so, Father, we need you, and you promised in that promise, in that command you gave us, you promised that you would be with us. And, Father, we lean to you, and we reach for you, and we hold on to you. And we thank you. Father, we love you. Father, I pray that if there's a a single man or woman in this room that has not committed to being your disciple, that they would make that decision right now. They would say, Father, I know I've sinned against you. And I know my sin has separated me from you because I deserve to be punished for my sin. I don't deserve to spend eternity with you forever. I deserve to go to hell. I don't deserve to spend eternity in heaven with you. But Father, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be separated from you. I want to spend eternity with you, and I want it to start now. I want to have a relationship with you now. So Father, I beg you to forgive me. Father, forgive me because I want to be your disciple. I want to love you. And the Scripture says what it means to love you is to obey you, and that it's not going to be a burden. It's it's going to be something I, I want to do and desire to do. And so, Father, I want to love you with a real love. I want to love you with a genuine love. Father, I I want you so much. Father, forgive me. Father, I, I pray that kids and adults throughout the history of this church will never stop making those decisions. Because, Father, that's all it takes. You said if we mean it from our heart, that's all it takes that if we genuinely desire to be forgiven, we admit that, that we're sin- we have sinned against you, we accept that, and we know that we can't make it right ourselves, but we just beg you to forgive us. That is what it means for you to be our Savior. We need someone to save us, and we know that it's only you can do it. Father, you said if we would just place our trust in you, our faith in you, that you would forgive us forever. You would seal us for eternity. And Father, we can never thank you enough for that, that, that gift of life.
Father, I pray also for those who have committed to live their life for you but haven't known how, haven't really understood what it is that you expect from us, what it is that you want from us. Father, I pray that they they see that clearly today, that what you want from us is a whole life devotion to you, a wholehearted devotion to you, where we are spending our time, our limited time on this earth, growing in our relationship with you, and determined to intentionally help others grow in their relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that, that, that more men and women in this church will make that decision, make that decision that that's exactly what they want to spend the rest of their life doing, pouring into that next generation. Father, we love you, and we can never, ever, ever thank you enough for your love for us. Father, forgive us. Father, love us. And Father, lift us up. Give us hope. And give us promise for a future. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If y'all would stand and join, join us in this last song. Amen. <clears throat> that is what we all want to hear at the end of this life. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so we, we need God to get us there. We need him to get us through every single one of these days to help us day by day walk in Him, grow closer to Him, and show that love that we have for Him to others. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. And Father, we look forward to that day when we will come to You face to face. We will, you will grab us and hold us in Your arms. And the Scripture says that You Yourself will use Your own hands to wipe the tears from our eyes. And Father, we look forward to that day. And Father, we are thankful that even though it, it, it's not as fulfilled as it will be one day, we are thankful that we have you with us right here, right now. That we have you here living in us to give us all that we need through the Holy Spirit. To guide us day by day and to equip us and to protect us and to shield us from all attacks. And Father, we thank you and we love you and we look forward to the, day, the days you have planned for us and the good works that you have planned for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.